Welcome, one and all, to Discovery, a Star Trek podcast by Fantastic Geek, your official, unofficial Star Trek Discovery podcast. My name is Matt, and joining me, as always, is Pete. Hailing frequencies are open. Magically keep it steady. Discovery, a Star Trek podcast by Fantastic Geek for episode 402, Anomaly, comes to you now via polarizing spectrographic filter. And... Pete, big news from the fleet this week, uh, a week after uh, good old Paramount Plus took Star Trek away from the international audience. They've come up with a solution, uh, the solution being, oh wait, Viacom also owns Pluto TV, which is a, uh, an ad-supported streamer. Uh, so for, for countries that already have Paramount Plus, they're getting Star Trek Discovery right away, which, Pete, I can't believe it took, like brains to figure that one out uh but if you don't have paramount plus in your international location uh then it's going to be then indeed it is on uh pluto tv um you get it for free uh pete i feel like it's nice that this was an easy solution i don't know why there was gnashing of teeth from the viacom slash paramount end of things and they couldn't figure this out sooner oh wait it's because they don't respect the audience and want to monetize us as quickly as possible what an embarrassing chapter here when that's all it took, Matt. <clears throat> and and what did it take? Besides, of course, international fans voicing their extreme displeasure that they couldn't get the product. It took the cast. Uh, it took the creatives openly criticizing the streaming platform that their product runs on to make it happen. So thank you to the cast and creatives of Star Trek Discovery, in addition to the international fans and uh, stateside fans who thought this was completely ridiculous for making that happen. And again, what an utter, utter farce that Paramount Plus is as a public relations job. The solution being as easy as it was, like I must admit, Pete, I don't have the Pluto TV app downloaded on any of my devices, but fine. It's this ad supported, you know, third or fourth tier streaming thing. There's stuff on you said there. said it. <laughs> well, but, but Pete, that's almost neither, that's neither here nor, nor there. It. Like, like the third or fourth tier. The only reason fourth, I downloaded first grade, uh, first rate content on a third or fourth tier streamer. And I say this having hit a multitude of technical difficulties with Paramount Plus this week. Most recently, it will not display the uh, um, audio captions for me. Um, my one TV has broken. I'm in the process of uh, replacing it. Need somebody to come and, and hang it and hook it up. Um, so I've resorted again to watching on my laptop and despite having a brand new, uh, MacBook air Paramount plus doesn't do everything Paramount plus is supposed to do. So it's no wonder, Matt, that you're telling me that they have an ad inserted fourth tier streamer that people abroad can watch a thing on and they wonder why there's piracy and to me i mean what, what what's bonkers is this 
again, me not having had readily available in my head a week or two ago that Pluto TV is a Viacom asset and, you know, there as a, there intentionally as a smaller place and ad supported and blah, blah, blah. Okay, fine. The solution was right there. If like the, if on the day of the pulling from Netflix, that meant that Paramount, CBS TV, you know, uh, Viacom, et cetera, had the rights back. Okay. And you have a streamer in Pluto TV. It's so clear. And, and again, I think that, you know, nobody really complains. Oh man, they're looking to monetize stuff. Okay. I guess what we, we in the United States, we've been playing, paying for Kurtzman uh, era, Star Trek from day one. And it is what it is. Okay. And I think that we all, you know, we're happy to support content that's, you know, that, that's, that's valuable to us and so forth. Yeah. The only um, argument we've made is that CBS All Access Paramount Plus doesn't have regular content all the time. Hence the reason to, you know, cancel, put on hold the subscription. Okay. And now what the game, what is the game that they're playing is they're bringing back all star trek okay well they they own the rights on that that's fine it's also a reason why i own every physically available minute of star trek that exists so again just this this bottom line being that i don't get how it took them a week i mean i do get ultimately it's that they wanted everybody else outside the United States and Canada to just simply wait until they were ready to have a press day to announce Paramount Plus all across Europe and and you know and so forth versus like invest in your audience by giving them invest in your Star Trek audience by giving them the thing you have now and if you are you know in uh, you know I don't know uh, Portugal and you're like oh it used to be on Netflix all right now it's on Pluto TV for free with some ads okay and the year after that it's going to be on paramount plus and i'll have to choose whether to pay for it or not to me that's that's just an investment in the future versus now we're going to hold on to this thing so we can get every every last euro and every last this and every last that so pete once again it's that that difference between the money end and the creative end because creatively this show is doing just fine well thank goodness our legally paying international listeners can now keep up with that, let's get to the mission briefing. Cleveland Book Booker scrutinizes the footage of birds falling in the sky above Quajon as he replays the events that led to the destruction of his homeworld, the loss of his brother and nephew. Michael Burnham attempts to get through to him with this book is closed uh, pete i really had intended to leave the paramount plus finger wagging uh in the the intro segment but let me read directly from my notes flashes of birds falling no paramount plus isn't acting up again this is the art of television <laughs> i mentioned it i mean i'm glad i got the these are creative choices that make it seem like well that's just it these are technical difficulties <laughs> well it's kind of like this if you were making a tv show for a streamer would you do a cold open where everything is pixelated, you know, where the visually it's pixelated and the sound is, blah, 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 blah. you know, like you kind of wouldn't, you wouldn't do it. Um, Pete, just like, uh, there are some people who to this day say David Chase, not a good way to end the Sopranos by making it seem that your cable broke. Um, again, I don't mean to linger on this. It's just literally, I was people like, people in right. my neighborhood when that happened that I heard yelling. <laughs> 
Yeah, yeah. So uh, again, I I'm so used to Paramount Plus not behaving properly that when I I sat down, I got my little cup of hot cocoa, and I'm like, oh, I get to watch this in the morning. You know, it's Thanksgiving morning when this came, and I, 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 I everything's all set, and I'm ready to go. I got I'm snuggly in my blanket. I'm up before everybody else. Click, 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 press play, and all of a sudden. You know, to then realize, oh, this is an artistic choice. You know, such, such as it is. Um, but as you mentioned, Pete Burnham is there to check in on book. Uh, she's paged and reluctantly leaves. Why has she been paged? Well, she goes to her ready room where Saru is there. They embrace. Uh, they discuss how the only survivor of Quajon is book. They're trying to reach out for other people from Quajon that might be out somewhere. Book is in so much pain. Um, but Burnham simply can't get through. Saru, ever wise, notes that each of us uh, must sit with pain in their own way. It's a great line. Uh, it really, really is. And I think, I mean, clearly this is an episode where, it, as this scene unfolds, we're going to say, oh, there's Saru's spot in the show for this season. Um, but if Saru wants to give Sage advice sometimes and other times say, but wait, the scan is being blocked and things like that, like... Yes, we're using him as a, a you know as a character just to perfection. Burnham has been conducting post mission analyses in the wake of the deaths of Lieutenant Aloka, Ensign Neville, and Commander Nollis. Uh, pointed out here that Saru is wearing the Kelpian symbol for community and service, signifying his status as a council member from his village. He has made arrangements to keep in touch with Sukal and serve in absentia. But Starfleet is where he's needed the most right now. And though he's been offered the captaincy of the USS Sojourner, he's told Admiral Vance he's not ready to return to the chair just now. A uh, great handoff back to the past here. The look at the tarnished telescope in the corner of the ready room, a fixture really uh, and Saru noting that their mentor, Philippa Giorgio, not the mirror one, of course, knew the value of a trusted set of eyes, especially in a time of crisis. And it would be Saru's honor and privilege to be her number one the way she was his. And again, Pete, like, oh, that's how they're going to use him this season. Is it vaguely goofy? All right, you can have two captains, but one is captain of the boat and the other is... Uh, the... Spock and Kirk? Well, that's Star just Trek it. Two. It's been done before. And in fact, Pete, when yeah. it comes to, like, doing right by the characters, what's the biggest What's the biggest thing that sticks in the craw of anybody who watched all seven seasons of Voyager? Like, n not a major thing. What's the thing where you're like, they didn't do right by this one character? What is it? Ensign Kim. Ensign Kim, right? So to sit, like, it's kind of like, give all these people promotions, whether it's a more background button-pushing person or whether it's part of the Canadian bridge crew. Whatnot. Give them all promotions and go, oh, they're, they're making their way through. Yeah, at a certain point, you max out. I just like that, oh, now Captain uh, Saru is going to be the number one. Like, better that than Seven Seasons of Ensign Kim, right? To Federation HQ, where Matt is troubled by a Ferengi captain. Pete, I am not a huge fan of this uh, light redesign for the Ferengi captain there. Uh, it was interesting to me that we get uh, essentially the entire Ferengi captain 
close-up, as shown in the preview, is also shown here. Also, also, Pete, and again, you know, a subcurrent, an undercurrent for this season is, uh, Pete, look at how they use this big, wonderful, beautiful space, visually appealing, got the hollow display in the center, everybody can stand around it, Knights of the Round Table. That also means, Pete, that uh, they're probably socially distanced for the wide shots and or you can shoot, you know, people one, three, five, seven, and nine in, you know, in one go and then, you know, two, four, six, eight, ten, in another go, put it all together. Uh, and of course, the close-ups, there they are standing by themselves. And this is all praise, by the way. This is not me having a little mm -hmm. tweak here. No, they need works. to make, this is made during the pandemic and to come up with elegant solutions. And I know we saw this general set last season and it was a pre-pandemic filming and blah, blah, blah. But just to sit and go, look, there's the solution to safely film and not say, you know, this is a season that was interrupted by two weeks by a, by a COVID exposure. Uh, I believe it was outside of the production, but one of the people in the core of the production, uh, the, the most uh, internal zone you know, uh, was exposed, you know, blah, blah, blah. So again, to only have had one shutdown for a 10 month shoot. Okay. It seems like this that make it possible. Darn successful. Yeah. Um, we have all these VIPs. We're told that perhaps it's two black holes circling each other. That's caused this errant gravitational wave. No one saw it coming. Uh, Stamets has taken what bare info they have to model, uh, kind of in retrospect, model the impact on Quajon. Uh, and seems to be on the move. The model is weak. More data is needed. We have uh, President Tarina from Navarre, uh, who notes that though Navarre is not part of the Federation, thanks for the reminder, good reminder, um, she and the uh, Navarre Science Institute will help crunch the numbers once you get them. Uh, Pete, this is a fragile time. Civil unrest may occur. However, we must all work together. This impacts all equally. We can work on this together. Pete, where do they get this stuff from? <laughs> the gravitational anomaly is five light years across. Massive. Okay. And you mentioned the theory of the roving binary black holes. Uh, but yes, that these post-burn fears could uh, ignite and that Vance dispatches discovery immediately for the anomaly shows the grave danger of the situation. Back we go to discovery where Tilly and Saru are having a walk and talk. Uh, we're back to some of the, uh, the slightly goofier presentation of Tilly. I'm neither in praise nor criticism of it. Uh, I think it's part of her character and certainly part of her character origin she wonders if Saru has gotten taller. Maybe it's just that he's got more swagger. That's a good thing. She's missed him and vice versa. Um, she has some reflection on all that she's been through. You know, the station last episode, life and death happening quickly. Uh, and Saru, again, ever wise, notes that how we spend to choose our moments in this life is what matters. And Pete, one quibble here. They get into the turbo lift. Uh, he gives her a pat on the back. It's not it's like slightly out of frame. I think that it's definitely a challenge for the production, the camera operator, director of photography, director, and so forth. He's so tall. Um, that yeah, it's I think hard to get in the frame. It is. And then he's reaching, you know, low to, to, you know, the, the appropriate middle of her back. I'm not suggesting anything untoward, but he's reaching lower than the camera might, you know, normally go. And I think the camera operator 
goes down a little bit, but doesn't want to move too much. And I think, you know, Pete, sometimes the best shot that you get isn't perfect. But uh, Pete, that's why it's performing arts. To the bridge where Awoshikun welcomes Captain Saru back. But he just wants to call be called Saru. Mr. Saru. Acceptable, of course. And then Burnham opens a bridge-wide, ship-wide channel here that they're seeking to understand a threat that none of the galaxy has seen before. We see Stamets in engineering, Culber and Adira in medical, uh, even Book listening in. They've lost colleagues, friends, and Quajon, lives, histories, futures, Determined to not be in vain, not on their watch. They take it to Black Alert, where Detmer jumps them in safe distance to the coordinates and go to Yellow Alert. They apply that polarizing spectrographic filter, and you're just stunned by the size of this thing as we head to the title card. The credits show all our regular stuff from last week, along with the episode having been written by Anne Kofel Saunders and Glenice Mullins, and directed in back-to-back episodes by Olatundi Ansunsami. Uh, when we come out of the credits, there's lots of confusion on screen. Stamets beams to the bridge. Uh, they're all surprised that there aren't two black holes. So immediately, Pete, the modeling is not matching reality. Uh, Stamets has no idea what he's looking at. Scans can't penetrate the accretion cloud. Uh, they need to get in there, but Detmer very carefully noting that's the yellow zone. Uh, they've of course have jumped into the green zone. Pete, I hate to see the red zone. Um, dots can't fly. Oh, absolutely. Uh, dots can't do it either. What could help? What solution is there? Pete, if only there was, I don't know, part of the story thus presented in this episode that could be that could be used to help the situation yes that being book volunteering his ship here that uh will be able to elude the uh mass that it's smaller and then it can change shape to compensate for the torque uh burnham is going to send detmer in and book wants a minute of her time in the ready room where he pushes back hard that he's not Starfleet. He's technically not even under her command. Um, But she says that if she wanted to do it, Culber would tell her no, but he's going. Um, And sets up the real emotional conflict for this episode, apart from, you know, this is an episode about post-traumatic stress and grief and the number of characters we see struggling. And obviously storytelling is setting up and then overcoming, resolving in some some way the struggle. But it really hits you in this episode, the number of characters having a hard time and, and taking it out of this episode. You know, Pete, it reminds me of uh next generation episode 402 this of course being Mm -hmm. discovery 402 uh i guess a weird coincidence but uh next generation 402 is family which right yeah was it family not home yeah Yeah. i don't want to say hits you over the head but the the theme of family is clear when picard visits family and family visits wharf and so forth Mm. um and then there's the family of the ship 
I feel like watching this Discovery episode the first time, you kind of go, all right, Book has some stuff, and uh, Tilly has some stuff, and then there's this threat to the universe, that's the season-wide arc, and so forth. And, you know, of course, kind of, you know, Book as one of the, you know, the, the leads of the show, who needs to come in and help, and of course, time is given to Tilly, where she's reflecting on her troubles, and because she's a lead in the show. You watch it a second time, it's exactly as you're saying, Pete, it's about dealing with these larger themes through, through Burnham's lens, through Saru's, you know, through each of the characters is dealing with it in, in some way or another. And again, all due respect to TNG, slightly different style of storytelling back then, circa, what was that, 1992 or so, um, where they were a little bit more kind of upfront. I like that it was in only the second viewing where it's like, oh, wait, all of the, all of these threads are woven in the same direction and not on an action level. Uh, there is that, but also an emotional level as well. To medical, Matt, where Gray is seeing the holographic body that will ultimately be used to help him incorporate. Um, and the idea of becoming a host again, finishing his training to become a guardian. All these things are suddenly on the table, courtesy of some 24th century tech and some obscure admiral named Picard. What an inspired use here of the latest Dr. Soong and his technology, all of it from season one in Picard. Um, you get the Picard shout out. Also, you know, Pete, yesterday over on our pop culture podcast feed and our Hawkeye podcast feed, we talked about how sometimes there are limits to when the story can say, you know, because story, like I'm kind of making up rules because I'm a story. And if you do that too much or under the right or rather wrong circumstances, it doesn't work here to then say, oh, it's not just a wink back to the previous show, the other show, but to then say the success rate was so low that it really can't be tried again. But like, it'll work just this once for gray, like to say, hey, audience, we are not going to make every Star Trek character that you love forever immortal in one form or another whether the right. actor is still with us or not what we're going to do is we're going to do a 3d scan of freaks and then in 40 years we're going to dust him off for your hollow glasses no it worked for picard it works here do we understand the the fake rules of this fake thing because if you do then gray's going to get a real body and be able to like hug and shake hands and stuff and be on the show more and ditto for picard season two but we're not doing it for everybody every time and if you're clear on that then the story can move forward and i feel like it works yeah that you know age and death and for better or worse it's what it is and you don't wear it out but special cases i don't know uh, Patrick Stewart here, the ability to incorporate a body for a character that right now needs Adira there to translate a conversation. Uh, so obviously you don't want that to continue to be a storytelling impediment and you want to see this character develop on his own and he can get rid of the mole on his hand he doesn't like. To Burnham we go, suddenly on an alien planet, considering a sunset, but no, no, it's a hollow in her quarters. She explains it's Navarre, the cliffs of Surak. It hasn't changed in 900 years. This is a view that Burnham used to take in uh, in reality back when that planet was known as Vulcan, which 
Pete can I only assume that maybe this is a little thread and by the end of the season you know Pete I am pro Vulcan as the name of the planet uh, and maybe there's sort of cultural faux pas there like let it evolve let it be Navarre the place of two people and whatnot but maybe they're just planting the tiniest story seed for it to be known as Vulcan again that's my that's my hope uh, I I'm all right that they've gone to this other name that they've <clears throat> brought the Romulans back absent a home world of their own we know we're getting a Kuat Malat story next week so some more there um the mist here the gorgeous light i mean matt they continue to make splendid use of the so-called holodeck tech uh that of course the volume from industrial light and magic at least the one they're making commercially available for competitors uh star trek may have built this one themselves uh, it might not have been an industrial light and magic joint but regardless it just looks it looks great and there really 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 is no going back to you know add the imperfections of green screen but it works you know 90 percent of the time like people now just know what it looks like for something to be i'll say naturally lit maybe not lit by nature but for the light to naturally fall on somebody Mm -hmm. in actuality and then capture it in the camera versus you know go back and do it after the fact uh regardless though uh burnham asks zora the computer to end the simulation zora named herself let's not forget pete we have that just lusciously wonderful short trek episode that considers a even farther future for discovery um saru and burnham talk in her quarters proper uh, she's seen how despondent Booker is, uh, but Saru notes that Booker is well prepared nonetheless to fly his ship on this mission. Uh, it is her personal feelings that are complicating things, and maybe the solution would be that Booker is not just by himself. Perhaps there's need for an added safety measure. Yes, and Saru has some ideas about that, which takes us to engineering where Stamets asks the obvious question that you would want to send the only two individuals who can operate the spore drive together and risk them both. Might as well blow him out an airlock. Oops, was that too soon? But Burnham is prepared for this. They're going to send Stamets as a hologram. Uh, Culber will be listening on the bridge in case there's any problems and let us know if we need to pull you back uh then we have the conversation obviously between the couple here um culber pushing back on stamets rudeness um and then uh that he's struggling with the idea of interacting with book that he wouldn't know what to say to him uh that He's struggled on his own, though, uh, Culber reminds Stamets, uh, having lost him, having, uh, you know, been fearful that he was going to lose him again and Adira, that uh, what did he want people to say to him and to let Book guide him? Yes, it's been awkward since he jumped Discovery to the Dilithium planet five months beforehand but they need to continue to build inroads and let's just consider here how 
the use of sci-fi technology makes makes story engine go it is a legit concern to not have both spore people in the same place at the same time and so forth all right so the hollow link gets you around that but furthermore it's going to allow Colbert to suddenly appear in front of Booker in uh, in the next scene, which kind of lets the conversation be sudden and awkward. Later on in the story, the fact that Colbert can't just up and leave because though he's there, the data's trapped on Book's ship too, which means Colbert has to stay put and both men are going to work through this together. Once again, we have here the emotional and the action really, really intertwined in a way that not even every episode of Discovery does it, but in this episode, the the emotional is action-oriented, and the action is feeding the emotional story and so forth. And again, it's not completely in your face. Yes, we have Stamets being kind of apoplectic with, how dare you send me? Oh, wait, it's actually this. Oh, wait, it's that, you know. And we kind of get Stamets, you know, foot stomping, and that's amusing. And we get the, you know, the odd couple of Stamets and Book uh, in the subsequent scenes. But it's not just there to be entertaining. It's there to serve an, uh, a larger emotional arc. I didn't know how much I needed a David Ajala, Anthony rap uh, centric episode here. But like you said, the, the odd couple is an apt description. So as he's transferred to books, uh, ship here uh, tries to make the small talk of, hey, do, do you get cramps and arm tingles when you use the spore drive, other spore drive driver guy, uh, and not getting the answer. And then that grudge is freaked out that becomes the extension of the emotional hostility here, can't smell the hologram. Uh, and it bothers the cat. Um, and uh, the, the tension is wonderful. Uh, completely in the scene here. Doesn't need a tether or a minder, book says. Uh, but Stamets just there for the data. So this fragile truce of I'll fly, you scan. And with that, it officially is mission time. Book's ship launches. The nano tether is connected. Uh, kudos to the sound design here where they use yeah. like that, you know, that high tension wire sound to yep. communicate that it's a wire. It's programmable matter. I feel like, you know, it's it's chapter and verse at this point. Uh, you know, communicators became phones and pads became iPads and tablets. I really feel like with the advent of even past 3D printing, that this writer's room really cracked the idea of programmable matter and, and how that will become a thing eventually. Programmable matter bought to you, brought to you by Amazon or something like that. <laughs> Just you know, press the one-click purchase button. Bezos bio matter shaping thing. Make a new body today. <laughs> either ad free or ad supported. So every so often when you're looking at that, you know, that little uh, statue of the Eiffel Tower that grandma got you, all of a sudden it'd be like, don't forget, low on batteries, buy new AA batteries from Amazon. Anyhow, Pete. Does not support Paramount Plus. <laughs> yeah, e even in the 2150s, it'll be like, connection error, you know. Um, with Book's ship having launched here, they're making their way through the large chunks in the dust layer. 
uh, book's attention slips to, to memories. And I, I think it's clear to us, we are seeing him seeing birds out the window. It's not actually there, although I like that it's, I like that we don't go, and all of a sudden it's, right. you know, book's head vision or whatever. It's kind of, we are along for the ride, riding quotes. We're along for the ride in book's grief and processing and whatnot. Um, with that, Discovery gets hit by a gravitational wave. Everyone floats in the iconic uh, trailer moment, although it might have been the second one that was in the trailer. But regardless, uh, grav generators can't compensate. Uh, then all of a sudden, everyone falls to the ground. I'll say this, Pete. I'm glad that the gravitational wave pushed them up and not down because they all would have been squished and dead if they, pushed, if they were pushed down into the floor. I've seen people you know, complain about this, that, oh, if they had seatbelts. And yes, we have now seen seatbelts done in bridge positions, but okay, can can we do the wire work? Can we have them float? You're dealing with a very specific type of anomaly so that you could do this. And what's the end result that they get dropped unpredictably as soon as they get, you know, lifted. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's like anything else, you know, if you have to have some concession here to dramatic states, uh, stakes and visually rocking them around and whatnot is much more interesting than, Oh man, they're all in, you know, like F1 racing harnesses and, and so forth. But Pete, as the story moves on here, um, Tilly is tasked with chugging through the numbers to understand what just happened uh, on Book's ship. Book is flying at his very, very best, uh, but still getting knocked around. Stamets needs 10 minutes, which sounds like a lot to Book and to all of us. Uh, in the science lab, Tilly uh, wonders if there's enough data or proper data in Adira's model. Adira takes an exception to that. Tilly says, we all double-check and triple-check our work around here. Adira steps away to make some changes. Tilly has a moment of reflection with Saru that now Tilly is the Stamets in the situation, which I think, A, amused me, and B, proof of character growth, um, and C, I think is very, very honest to the path that Tilly is on, the path that they're all on in terms of, you know, Pete, uh, you know, parents, they just don't understand. And at a certain point you go, oh, sometimes maybe they do. And, and you become the parent. Uh, Colber notes that Adira has a cracked rib, which tending to them and to Tilly here, you know, the, the caretaker uh, in chief residency here of the episode and, and going forward, I think really, really important setup in this episode. Uh, they run out onto the bridge, though Tilly and Adira do. Good news is they know when the next disturbance is. Bad news, it's in two seconds before they float again and fall down. And then what sells it, Matt, is not the impact, but that Awoshikun, uh, her mouth is bleeding as she's detailing the damage. And I, I felt that one. Yeah, and I think it's a reminder that though this is one of the most expensive shows on TV and they're battling through in a, you know, hot pandemic and in a pre-vaccine situation when they started filming the season and so forth, you know, fine, everybody gets some, you know, red with uh, 
caro syrup on their faces and whatnot say oh they're all bloodied how do you kind of up the stakes there it's you know it's the bloody mouth which just feels different you can taste it right there's all there's different senses going on there um and it just you know it's this little thing that helps sell in a big big way um everyone obviously has been hurt again as evidenced by this blood and whatnot uh they need book to pull back or saru notes they could just simply axe the tether and let books ship continue without them uh stamets reports that he now needs five minutes so i i see you sly story clock there uh and in, by five minutes pete that's not a scotty engineering kind of thing he says five minutes is five minutes if you give him three that might not be enough mm-hmm. um book is still seeing visions but wants to continue he knows that he can do this uh even as uh great but somewhat curious line culber notes that stress and emotional instability are indistinguishable in times like this so i like the line i approve of the line i think it's true i kind of feel like if i'm burnham or if i'm a lesser captain than burnham i'd be like then culber what are you here for i ask you to keep an eye on him if you can't keep an eye on him during uh, times like this what good are you which again but it's I not think a criticism the at idea... all yeah in a difficult situation, you know, what happens later on book admits you were right, Michael, it was too much for me, but he pushed through it. And what have we, you know, heard about grit and digging deep and that idea that you can find that you're stronger than you actually felt yourself to be. Um, everybody needs help. And, you know, this is an episode about getting and giving that. Um, but sometimes, Matt, in the writer's room, you have to let go. So you axe the tether, okay? Palmer, uh, uh, Detmer pulls the ship back. Uh, great resumption of that effect to have the programmable matter come and get sucked back into the ship as they pull away. And then... Sometimes emotionally, Matt, we just fly blind like Booker is in his ship right now. Uh, Indeed, they're losing power. Uh, Stamets needs to fix a thing, which, again, kind of smart use of um, the programmable matter end of things. Like, they don't need to get up. They don't need to do another camera setup. They don't need, uh, and this isn't even a COVID concern, although they don't even need to, like, have Joe the carpenter build another set and so forth it's just boom the thing comes up that needs fixing um they're able to have a heart to heart here stamets noting that book reminded him stamets how powerless stamets felt book having saved stamets's family that made paul feel powerless so there's some sharing there's some emotional bearing here particularly as things get worse uh, the scan ultimately is complete, but again, as referenced before, none of this data has been sent back to Discovery because of the wonky connection since they're no longer tethered. Stamets needs to get out with Book. And again, Pete, this is a situation where it's like, because story is an, is an answer that works, I kind of, I want to take a little exception with the idea like, but you're able to have a 99% perfect hollow uh connection and you can't just send back math over the radio and it's like oh wait i actually don't know how these hollow connections work and i don't know how this gravitational anomaly that isn't even a black hole works and i don't know how book ship works so there's enough questions that when the story says can't send math back because story but can send stamets image because story 
it just works because I don't know how I don't know what, what the rules are and they're telling me the rules so I must accept it. Yeah, that the distortions are interfering there. Tilly and Adira have analyzed the waves of the gravitational anomaly and that bookship would be able to ride them out. And then great moment here for Commander Bryce, uh, who notes the Newtonian uh, mechanics and the fluid dynamics of it all. Of course, he used to kite surf back on Manic 4. Uh, so they're going to uh, develop this fix for it. Detmer says that without navigational sensors, he won't be able to gauge the right angle, but Tilly is going to render the um, hollow there into programmable matter and be able to use that to give Book the uh, signal to go, which Burnham is going to do. And uh, all of this is reflected upon a book almost wondering, like, can he, is he unable to do it? Uh, Stamets notes. Uh, and again, Pete, this isn't, I didn't catch on first viewing. I didn't catch like, there's enough power to give it one more go. This is our final shot. I didn't catch that on first view. It was a little bit more present on the second view. Mm -hmm. And frankly, I kind of like that they're not overselling it because do I think they're going to kill off book in the second episode of the season nope not one bit so you can kind of hide that in drama of the moment and instead of being Stamets saying hey dude we're in this together not we're in this together or we could die and all will be lost for the rest of the season uh it, it, it's the right eggs in the right basket um Stamets tells Burnham that book will need more help on this one uh, so, uh, Saru agrees, uh, here, Michael is where you can be a partner, not a captain. So, uh, Pete, she goes into the private talkie sphere, which made me think of Babylon five. And I have not seen much of Babylon five, although I was like with it for much of the first season back in the day. And I remember they had this effect in the bar or a bar. I don't really remember Babylon five that well, but two people sit down at a table and they want to have private time. So they press the private button and let the lights around them form a triangle over the table and sound effect wise, you only hear the two of them. How that works as real technology. I have no idea, but it worked on, it worked on the screen. Same thing here, yeah. private talkie sphere, you see it light up and then it's not there anymore. And now it is because they said so. And it's a great use of this thing. I have no idea how it would work, but it does. And it's, the direct addressing of the survivor's guilt that book is feeling that he's seeing Leto here, but can't see the face. That's important. Um, the, the post-traumatic stress of it all that he could not have saved them, that he shouldn't have known that he shouldn't blame himself. It's not his fault. He didn't fail them. Um, and now he needs to turn back and, uh, literally and uh, figuratively turning around, getting back in the chair, closing his eyes, staying with Burnham in the moment here and using the programmable matter uh, from her console to tell him when to gun it. And obviously it works. There's the delay there where the dome comes off. Is there any sign of him? And we get the, uh, the classic bridge noise 
just a beat there before we get the audio that he is free and clear. Yahoo, the music is triumphant. Uh, Come on home, transmit the data. Special thanks is given to Bryce, whose mention of uh, kite surfing helped, you know, helped lead to this life-saving hobby. Uh, Later on Bookship, uh, Stamets thanks Book for having saved Stamets' family and Stamets promises to help figure out the situation. Uh, Book gives some reciprocity here. He does get arm tingles and so forth when uh, in the spore cube. Stamets then takes the hollow link off. He's immediately in engineering where Stamets hugs Culber. Culber uh, walks and runs into Tilly who thanks Culber for the information on how to best speak to Adira until he notes that Culber was right about how she is processing the pressure. Things don't feel the same way they used to. Perhaps Tilly is off. Perhaps they can talk about it sometime, you know, professionally talk. Um, Pete, Gene would be proud here, the return of kind of mental health counseling. Mm-hmm. Um, I know we've had a little bit in Discovery, but uh, with that, Tilly is off to dig into the data uh, yeah. and says it with a funny voice. So <laughs> that's adorable. The comedic chops there on Mary Wiseman to Adira's quarters, uh, where Gray tells them they're kind of a big deal that the algorithm is like a mathematical work of art. And uh, they say that they kind of made waves, but um, it's this delicate uh, wire act here we've had already first of gray's concern about seeming happy at what might seem an inappropriate time and before culver telling us that that life has to go on and here adira noting that uh gray got to see his body today he hears a a butt and uh they note that um with uh, malice and with, you know, the whole awful thing here that's going on. It's been a reminder of what happened to Gray and the suddenness with which his physical body was lost. And uh, uh, they are sorry to bring that up, obviously, um, and ending the conversation with what a great guardian uh, they think that Gray is going to make someday. It's been quite a day, and ditto for Book, who is visited by Burnham. He's made it through the day and finally admits to seeing images of Leto. Uh, did Book ever tell Leto how much he loved him? Uh, he thought he didn't need family, but he was open to the idea of a new beginning. Now they're all gone. So some, some well-understood leftover sorrow there. Uh, later, Saru is at the view screen considering the anomaly until he checks in, but she did find something. The reason the disturbances got worse, the anomaly has changed direction. There's nothing that can explain why it changed direction. If they can't predict where it can go, and it can go anywhere at any time, then there's no warning at all. And the camera pulls back to show the sheer size of the thing. A reminder, Pete, that space is the threat! Pete, we have an incoming threat analysis. Let's start with kind of this 
emotional threat, this PTSD that a number of characters are dealing with. We've been told, obviously, by the creatives that this anomaly represents the unknown, really hard to get your hands around problem of a pandemic and how they were reasoning, not just in the writing of this, but in the production of it, how you had to go about it and the um, unpredictability of it and everything there. So to see that through our characters, both through things that we already knew we needed to resolve that rear their heads in this episode, I'm talking about Stanitz and some of his hostility towards Burnham having been blown out the airlock there at the end of season three. Uh, even a little bit of holdover with Adira and the way that they lost Gray. But here with Book, and then, you know, even before the anomaly, something was off with Tilly. You go back to the scene at Starfleet Academy at the reopening, and she wasn't quite right. Um, so I, I think we're doing a, a deep dive on on grief, on change, and what it means. And in true Star Trek fashion, they're going to give us the, the treaties on pushing through and uh, becoming better in the face of that. And I think all of what you just said, Pete, is a great reminder of um, how in any show, particularly a, a modern show, your choices are, you know, if you're not quite sure what to do with a character, you can kind of reduce them to button pusher or you can give them new things to do. And the new thing doesn't necessarily always need to be intimately tied to the threat of the week or the threat of the season it can just be them on some, on some sort of uh, journey. I think, you know, again, different, different storytelling time and different storytelling tools, but like they didn't quite know what to do with Chakotay when they got to the middle of Voyager. So it was like, all right, we're going to give him less to do because the Janeway seven doctor trio is much more interesting. Um, and again, different and storytelling Robert tools. Beltran's a jerk. Well, it, the fact that Bobby B was not always a nice guy probably didn't help. But, you know, again, they're cranking out 25 episodes or so a season. And, it, you know, it, it's a different it's a different situation. But here to sit and go, all right, Mary Wiseman is still part of the show. We don't necessarily we're, we're no we're, we're no longer treating her as the wide eyed ensign who can also make goofy mistakes. And, you know, uh, somebody can yell at her, you know, fire the thing faster and she's going to be upset. Like, all that rookie stuff is now behind her. Okay, find new things to give her. And it's just, it, it, it just makes sense. As does Pete, the threat of the anomaly. I like that it's kind of the, um, I mean, personification isn't the right word, but it is the story distillation of, among other things, you know, an early, a pre-pandemic or an early pandemic, a what's this thing going on all the way over there that isn't isn't going to come this way? What does the map, the Johns Hopkins map say? You know, kind of to take that mindset and to thoroughly wash it through the sci-fi, uh, you know, uh, wash there, not to make it the space illness. Um, right. 
it's all a good thought. The unknown astrological entity here to, though you mention that they were never going to make this some form of biological threat, that they give it a biological distinction. Um, it just in, in the remote extensions of that, um, that it affects everyone. And I think that really blends into another form of threat that if we don't work together, if we don't do what needs to be done, this could take even longer to solve. Well, and that's, that's floated as a potential threat and dare say uh, foreshadowing for later in the season, this threat of not working together. You know, it's great that everybody up front at that uh, Federation round table is saying, let me help, let me help. But what if this, but what if that, let's have a, let's have a think session and let's all row in the same direction. But you know, it, it would be the worst of the Gene Roddenberry eighties Star Trek mindset of like, they always have the solution and there never are problems. Um, and, and how frustrating that was in the first season in particular of next generation to be like, and now there's a threat that's totally out there that they can't deal with, even though they're always prepared for everything. Like for this episode to say, not everybody's going to be on board for the solution. Okay. They're not talking about the Star Trek times. They're talking about the right now times. And let's see how Star Trek deals with that. Doubtless Pete with a happy solution at the end of the season, but that's the that's the Star Trek lift towards the end of a the end of a threat, but not, certainly not the beginning of it. Let's set our long range sensors ahead to search for some theories. So, Pete, we end with the notion that this uh, this naturally occurring thing now is reacting to the presence the little teensy presence of discovery i mean is there a sentience behind it whether it's the living black hole or whether it's the romulans on the inside of the thing that have gone wrong do we have a mind behind this i don't know i could see them going in a lot of different directions the the first thought that occurred to me is based on the way that they pulled out and the shape of it the further and further they go and obviously not just the scope but then you know everything in its path all the objects everything like that would they retcon some idea like a doomsday machine or anything like that here that never credited to a particular species or anything like that just this roving idea of destruction as a means of how do we all team up and defeat it. It'll certainly be interesting to see how they, how they detail this threat as the season unfolds. You know, obviously with, with two episodes, we've had the, there's a thing out there that we see the aftermath of the hurricane. Now let's go analyze the hurricane. Wait, it's not a hurricane at all. It doesn't act properly. And, you know, and here's all the ways it doesn't act. Um, 
I just think of prior seasons where it's like, we're doing the Klingon War arc. Okay, in retrospect, that was about half a season. Then we did a Mirror Universe for about half a season, and we tied it all together. Uh, other seasons have had the longer threat with little subparts, part A, part B. Last season, I think, was by and large, you know, just the, the maybe I won't say the threat, but the journey in the burn, the, the burn uh, federation, the post-burn federation, and making our way through that, solve the burn at the end. So do I think we're doing 11 more episodes on this thing? I mean, maybe, especially if we do a, you know, and in this episode, we stop off at, you know, at, you know, the, the planet of the glowing things to have kind of a side, a side mission or a side adventure um, and not directly deal with the threat. Again, it'll be interesting to see what what is the scope of this thing across 13 episodes. Do you suspect that there are surviving Quajon? We've seen so few of them. It was kind of set up that, you know, though they had a whole home world, that they seemed particularly sparse. And would that insulate Book as a character from... Uh, not leaving the show. I mean, I, I feel like there's two parts. First of all, the the show seems kind of, um, I don't want to sound down. I'm, I'm not down on this episode in any way, but I'm a little dubious on kind of the question, we're searching for other people from Quajon if they were off world. It's kind of like saying, you know, pick a country, large or small. Oh man, we, we don't know if there's other people from Liechtenstein if they were outside the country, well, there's got to be a couple Quajani people that were just out there, whether it was the next world over or whether it was, you know, on a deep, you know, deep space trip to, to, you know, the beta quadrant, whatever it might be. Um, so I guess it's kind of there in terms of like, are we setting up, Hey, we did find someone, you know, am I going to get the previously on next week and they're going to go, we're searching to see if there's anyone. And I go, okay, uh, in the teaser act, somebody's going to be like, what? Quay John, that's my home too. Spider-Man meme. Me point at you, you point at me. <laughs> um, so again, am I, picking up a, am I picking up foreshadowing that's there? Maybe. Um, separate part of your question, it seems a little, there's a little bit of a question mark on their end. Are there survivors that were on the planet? And I feel like there's no way there were. That's not how I understand planetary destruction. Um, and again, like we said last week, if you say, ah, oh, but they got to the escape port just in time and they've been barely hanging on in stasis. Okay, fine. Like I'm fully prepared to accept that as the rules of sci-fi tell me it is possible, even though I think from my perspective, it's not. Um, but I don't. I don't buy that. Like, what's the big rescue operation? We haven't heard about that. So uh, maybe, Pete, we get more people from, from Quajon originally who show up. This idea of civil unrest that the president of Navarre brought up and that the coming attraction for next week deals with a Kuat Malat, um, the radical candor that they practice um, that perhaps in the wake of such a threat that it might be so over the top, like, well, we're all going to die. This thing is unpredictable and I'm going to go do the thing and, and speak the absolute truth. 
I think if nothing else, you know, the Kuala Malat being a fairly new uh, tool in the toolbox for Star Trek, um, just, you know, referenced a little bit last season, Discovery originated in Picard. Um, to, to, to take the idea of absolute candor, which seems so objective and seems so kind of foundational, and to maybe play with that a little bit, having Star Trek talk about the idea that what I know is correct and what you know is wrong, even as I talk, not literally to you, Pete, but even as there are these current day conversations of, you know, I'm right about the vaccine and you're wrong. I'm right about the spread and you're wrong. like these sorts of things where both sides are both sides are practicing absolute candor, but somebody is wrong. Um, it'll be interesting to see that kind of Star Trek discussion. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and Pete, wherever we're at in a post COVID or, Oh, here comes the latest wave COVID. Like, I think that it's, I'm appreciating that a Star Trek is tackling this and B that we do have it at an arm's length through the powers of sci-fi all due respect to, you know, Grey's Anatomy and, and shows like that. But I'm glad it's not like, and here it is episode three where episode 403, where Star Trek deals with the space sickness and we need to space quarantine with our space shields. Like, thank you, Star Trek for not taking it that literally. The Zora name check in this episode and that again we could be heading towards the short trek where discovery is abandoned um the biggest holdup there being that it hadn't had its upgrades yet which would make it noticeably different on screen i think that if we allow reality to enter in terms of it was this really novel short trek that said among other things we're going to throw the story ball so far in the future as to be a unimaginable and b flexible because it's like it's been left alone for all these hundreds of years which is now in retrospect hundreds of years after when the show started and all that to just say this is an excuse to use empty sets to make a small story with one actor maybe two um again it's in that world of because story and if you set up because story correctly then you just accept it is it interesting that meanwhile somebody back on the main story arc here of discovery that they've retained the zora voice actress and that there was the little bit last year of the zora act or pardon me zora trying to establish itself and now zora has named herself I don't know if it's a ticking time bomb or if it's just, hey, we really don't have an answer, but we're slowly working towards some kind of evolution here. Uh, That in and of itself is really delicious because if you're just saying, hey, see, the pieces all fit somehow and we're going to let somebody else figure that out in like 10 years on Star Trek Discovery, the next generation. Okay, so be it. Or if it's going to be some sort of the end of this season, there's now the time crisis and the ship is put back in time and forward again, whatever it is. I like that we have options and they feel really organic. Could the spore drive, the interface that Stamets and book both suffer arm tingles, pins and needles somehow be pointing to the spore drive as a source for this gravitational anomaly. 
I'm not one of those people who says, you know, oh no, once again, Burnham is in charge of solving everything because that's every Star Trek. I got news for you. every Star Trek is there dealing with the 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 intergalactic threat, or maybe not intergalactic, but dealing with the galactic threat, the threat to Earth civilization, the whole nine yards. That said, you know, I would be okay if Discovery is not if for this season, if Discovery is not at the center of the crossroads of the cause. I know that Discovery wasn't at the cause of the burn, but like insofar as Discovery was at the crossroads of the solution for the burn, okay, again, constructed drama. I understand the rules there. I don't like the idea that the spore drive is causing this for a bunch of reasons, including we've already had this fight on the next generation where saying, you know, stop all the stop all the combustion engines, they hurt the environment. To do that through Star Trek just became really confusing because now you can't trek through the stars the way you used to. So they got rid of it. Um, heck, Pete, this own th- this show weren't they going to retire the spore drive because it was viciously hurting the Josep? And the one Josep lady came through and hopped on a Tilly and said, "Stop, stop, you know, uh, hurting us and and all that." And they said, "Oh, we we hereby promise that if you bring us Colber, uh, and he's." Uh, really really handsome uh then we won't use this anymore then now they kind of do like don't make it about the spore drive again please oh please with that let's go to hailing frequencies hailing frequencies open sir we start with our twitter poll and uh as always pete didn't do a four three two one although i had one kind of secretly baked in uh which life-saving hobby captures your thoughts on this week's episode (laughs) pete i'm just going to keep stretching the ability to come up with a qualitative or quantitative way that sounds qualitative that somehow connects to the episode it's a fun challenge uh one of the choices was as a hobby snoozy time for grudge i'm not quite sure how that's a hobby but you know your cat won't go to sleep you make the cat go to sleep that's a good skill uh 13 said snoozy time for grudge uh well-crafted robotics got 8.7 percent Zippy piloting skills, that's skills with a Z, Pete, so you know it's cool, got 34.8%. And then smooth kite surfing got 43.5%. Some replies to the tweet we heard from JT Adkins, is that JTA is me on Twitter. Loved it. The family dynamics of our little Discovery crew are well earned, are a well earned joy and a testament to all the writing, directing, and acting and all other production support uh, that, that has brought us to now. Oh, and a great mystery and stuff breaking and catching fire. Hashtag Star Trek Discovery. <laughs> uh, we heard from Spider-Ham Lincoln. That's at TessLC139. Another well-crafted episode that strikes a balance between excitement, suspense, and raw emotion. Book scenes were powerful, both with Michael and Hollow Stamets. Love how Culber is developing into a friend and confidant. Welcome back, Mr. Saru. Disco with two captains now. Thumbs up and Vulcan salute. We also heard from Jackie Wolf. That's at Jackie Wolf on Twitter. Jackie with the I, Wolf with the E. An amazing episode. Glad to see some of Tilly's awkward charm return. And I love the character development we've seen in her so far. A new maturity and leadership qualities. Lastly, I'm absolutely loving Dr. Culber's character arc. To show the characters receiving mental health support is really big. And Wilson Cruz, at Wilson Cruz, plays his character with compassion and grace as always, probably because he's a gem of a human being in real life. 
We heard from Andre Yeager. That's at Dr. Polo in 1983. Great episode. The visuals on this show are stunning. A lot of emotion from Book in this episode, understandably. Taking bets on the anomaly being either sentient or a weapon created and released by accident. It seemed to react to Discovery or Book ship kind of shady. And Pete Spiderham Lincoln uh, replied, updated version to the Doomsday Machine. So, Pete, I know I know you mentioned a Doomsday Machine <laughs> connection in spirit, if not in actuality. I know I brought up the idea of some level of sentience. Uh, how about this idea, which I get, which is kind of sort of a Doomsday Machine, but how about the idea of like a weapon that has gotten loose? I just wonder if geopolitically they might be cutting off their nose to spite their face with that. Uh, yeah, I kind of agree <laughs> as well. Especially once Would I said it out loud. Yeah. They have members of the writing room that draw heritage from all different parts of the world. And could they address perhaps the misdirect of, oh, uh, Asian people were getting punched out at a uh, ridiculously alarming rate early to mid pandemic there in some kind of, uh, you know, misguided blame. Um, could they could they do it and not ultimately have the the perceived source be responsible Maybe. I think that's very delicate. I don't know Paramount Plus, CBS, penetration into the Far Eastern markets, but I don't think that would help. But then again, they've already shown they don't care about the international market. So who knows? I, the creatives, I have 100% faith in where they'll take the story. Um that remains, I think, a very tricky option. I know, Pete, I had floated, I think, last week, like, hey, you can't see it. Maybe there's some sort of Romulan cloaking thing. Let's take your answer along with my answer and say, you know, will the writing room have put forth somebody to say, even though the Vulcans and the uh, Romulans are, are you know, friendly again, this sounds like romulan sneakery you know it's the them it's the them and then find out no you're yeah i think you we can safely prejudge romulans as fictional people in the realm of star trek they are consistently baddies from enterprise to you know to classic Trek, tng and so forth so again i don't think i don't think it makes it does not make us prejudicial to prejudge the romulans a fake people who are frequently the villains in this story However, it would be to Star Trek's benefit to have us be prejudicial against the Romulans and then for them to say, nope, uh, don't forget, in the world of Star Trek, eventually people come around. It's your fault for blaming the Romulans. Look at how, look at how we've done a little bit of a twist here. I mean, who were, the, who were the Romulans originally the stand-in for back in the 60s as opposed to the Klingons? So... Again, I think a very intricate tightrope act. And you don't want to be offensive. I mean, what's been revealed so much through response to the pandemic has been the level to which some people are insensitive, bordering on callous. 
Um, and again, the makeup of this writer's room, the thoughtful nature of where they choose to go, encompassing all the diversity that Star Trek always has. Um, again, I, I await how they tackle it, and I have faith in how they will. Next, Pete, on Twitter, uh, a tweet from Stingray. That's at TrekGirl88. Wow, I didn't expect to have a Discovery episode about grief two days after my dad died, but there we are. So many good moments and lines. Seru, uh, well, if loss has taught us anything, it's that each of us must sit with pain in our own way. Uh, Stingray goes on to say the scenes between Seru and Burnham were so good. Their dynamic is as it always was. So happy to see him back on Discovery. So, Pete, certainly some some sad news there from Stingray. Yeah, and our thoughts uh, with her at this time. Um, and if art can be a source of solace, uh, I think, you know, what is, what is this show trying to tackle? That there are forces beyond our control that we're all going to be subject to at some point. And uh, that it's the idea of reaching for one another and, and picking each other up. So uh, hope, hope things are, uh, you know, getting better for you day by day. Last tweet here from Barton Stan. That's at K-C-L-Y-L-E-1 on Twitter. Great episode, almost nonstop action, amazing effects. This show is just beautifully made. I do wish they'd spend a little more time on the bridge crew. None of them are even in the opening credits, but Blue Del Barrio is. Nothing against them, but there's plenty of real estate to list a few more people. Seru being gone sure didn't last long. While I like the season-long arcs, I'd like to also see some single-episode stories. Maybe get to know some characters a little more. However, I don't see that happening. But still a fantastic show. Pete, I would welcome... Uh, I'd welcome more screen time for that bridge crew. I'd welcome the return of Short Treks. To have more of the bridge crew, if that's the best way to sit and do, you know, a day with Detmer, um, Awoshikan's, you know, hobbies, whatever it might be. They're great characters. There's such charisma. And I know, you know, I know it's other traditional storytelling forces holding them back. Like, this is our, these are our main people that are in the credits and they get most of the stories for, for you know, carefully calculated reasons and so forth. But, you know, bring it all on. That is on the to-do list of the writer's room. And I, I think they have been addressing it. I mean, we have learned more about that bridge crew. This is not Lieutenant Kyle. <laughs> well, you could fill nothing with what we know about Lieutenant Kyle. Uh, he wore a robe. <laughs> he flipped switches in the transporter room. Okay. We found out in this episode that uh, Bryce was a kite surfer and he was integral towards uh, resolving the main conflict. Um, we know about Detmer and her friend and her family. We know about Awoshikun and where she came from. We had we had Reese in the con in the previous episode there. So they have grown. Um, this show is uncharacteristic amongst the rest of Trek in that it was centered upon a non 
captain to start. I mean, this and only Deep Space Nine can say that. And now the ascendancy of Burnham to captain, two captains on the show, on the ship now, and so many characters to feed. It, it is a challenge. Uh, I think more is always going to be better, but it's not as if they've completely ignored them. Pete, just as every character in Discovery this season has gotten a promotion, so too has it happened behind the scenes. We have, at long last, the return, not just of Admiral Fred from the Netherlands, but Grand Admiral Fred from the Netherlands, whose voice and wisdom we shall now hear. Hello, Matt and Pete, and all listeners to Fantastic Geek. This is Fred from the Netherlands with some feedback for Star Trek Discovery Season 4, Episode 1 and 2. Hey guys, nice to be back here, although I almost missed it. I was living more or less under a stone. I don't know if that's an English expression as well, living under a stone. I did notice, actually, that Star Trek Discovery had started again. And in my case, this expression is even funnier because my last name, Petrie, also means stone. You know, the word petrify. And although my parents didn't know it, in the 60s we had a cartoon with Flintstones and we had a guy there, Fred Flintstone. So Fred Stone is not uh, unknown. <laughs> okay, going into this new discovery season... So first a little disclaimer, I really had to watch both episodes quickly and I didn't listen to your podcast of episode one, so I don't know what's in there, but uh, just that you know, I haven't listened yet. So perhaps I'm saying stupid things you have addressed in that podcast already. I'm very, very happy that Michael gets a little more tough, not that she wasn't tough before, but one of the most annoying things was that was always always her soft voice that she was for talking with me <sighs> everything was and especially my wife was very annoyed by that and that's that's much much less and you also notice that when you see the intro with the flashbacks to the previous season i always thought it was just something in the actor although I cannot really judge that because I didn't see much work of Sonequa Martin-Green in other stuff. But here she proves she can do without, or at least much less. Although there were quite some emotional scenes with Book in the second episode. I really wonder if that fits to her more firm role as a captain, or that other people also gave feedback on this and the makers and directors really changed this consciously. First some general remarks, I really really love the cinematography again, really nice composition, I love the uniforms, the colorness, the way they are designed, really really good. Sometimes the pace is a little too fast for me, especially when uh, Discovery gets to the space station and all that happens there. Of course, there are many, many real classic Star Trek references, of course, in Michael's speech to the Academy and having the sparks and fire on the bridge just to show that something awful is happening and with debris coming down, always on the bridge. Also the design of the space dock, 
But of course, these are all the things that real Star Trek fans immediately recognize. And I really wonder if it's sometimes perhaps too obvious and too much. I have some ambivalent feelings about that. Being nice references or being over the top and a little bit too much. A little bit less and more widespread over this season would perhaps be nice. Another general remark is about the prosthetics. They got so much better. I think Saru even has a little bit of tan. Much less rubbery, much nicer in most all people. I really also liked the prosthetics of the president. She is, well, I don't think she's half Cardassian. She's perhaps a fourth or an eighth Cardassian. Very subtle. Talking about that president, at the end of the first episode, I really started to doubt, is this a simulation? Is this a Kobayashi Maru test for Burnham? But then seeing the second episode, which goes on on the story of the first, I got convinced it was not a simulation. I think the president is right by saying that Michael is willing to risk the many to save the few. And that of course makes her story and her approach always appealing and adventurous. And giving a nice discussion with her surroundings, just like here. Okay, that will be all for now, otherwise this feedback will be too long. Greetings, all the best, Fred from the Netherlands, till next time. Absolutely, thank you Fred, good to have you back. Um, the Saru makeup something i definitely noticed we go from early on you know very very one tone and it seems every season they continue to detail that apart from having more kelpians now to be able to have the palette and even the prosthetics among them are different but yeah definitely something i've uh, noticed i think of how with michael dorn's makeup Part of the um, part of the condition of him coming back to Deep Space Nine was that they would be able to speed up the makeup procedure. Um, I don't remember what it was originally. I have like in my head like two hours, two and a half hours, something like that, um, and how it was like forty-five minutes by the time he was on Deep Space Nine or the end of Deep Space Nine. But just the bottom line being, it's one of those physical crafts where you can design it, you can be great at great at all of that and over time you'll learn the tricks that make it that make it better individual to the rubber you're using and doug jones's head and things like that um and fred is right saru looks better than ever without looking like you know we've gone from classic klingons to you know motion picture klingons it's, it's not a jump like that but it just looks he just looks better and also fred kind of wisely pointing out that at that uh federation headquarters that space station scene in the first episode it, it is a great time to be having some of those classic star trek references and to be really tying things together while we have the peace and the positive before the season threat descends on us and certainly pete keeping us going all season long are the people who support us on patreon.com we have 11 ish we think 11 episodes to go for the season and uh, while we podcast Discovery, along with our Marvel and Star Wars stuff, so great to continue to be listener-supported. And Matt, 75 available things to check out on our Patreon page. So uh, at a time when we are so thankful uh, for the people who allow us to be 100% listener-supported, uh, you can come away with 
something, many things for that support. Takes just a dollar a month to get you behind that door. Can't contribute right now? Get yourself over to Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating or review to any of our 25 feeds. Some need more love than others because Matt, our Hawkeye podcast and our Book of Boba Fett podcast have gotten some indiscriminate, uh, non-detailed one-star drive-bys. Ooh, so certainly some some more thoughtful reviews would be appreciated on those. The Hawkeye feed, you know, newly getting content each week and Book of Boba Fett, Pete, next month, which is about to be, you know, this month in a couple of days, but, you know. Uh, in in December, that'll be heating up as well as that show takes off. So listener support always welcomed, especially when it comes to uh, the Apple podcast review world. And Pete, let's keep the larger Star Trek discussion going. How can people be in touch with you on Twitter? You can find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, 12,162 followers. Can't be wrong. And while I'm personally on Twitter as Looking Back Lost, do be in touch with the podcast, comment on FantasticGeek.com. Check us out on Twitter, Instagram, Gmail, where we are FantasticGeek as well. But wait, Pete, there's more. Facebook.com slash FantasticGeek with the PH, all one word, like it today. As the calendar turns to December, if you're listening on the Pop Culture Podcast feed, we will be back on Saturday for Hawkeye 103. If you're here for Star Trek, we'll be back on Sunday for Discovery 403 pete sometime we'll have to wonder why it is that disney plus <laughs> and paramount plus do that you know because we had what if binary roving black holes <laughs> I, I, maybe that's what it is i, I don't know what well, that, that that's some that can be some ponderation for another time but for now i will say adios to all our listeners and give you pete the final word blow me out an airwalk